Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy, whether you are a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional. A show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Money across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome, everybody, to episode nine of Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. My name's Samuel Money, based in Philadelphia, USA, and I'm joined in London by Chris Lawson. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Sam. How are you doing? You okay? Yeah, I'm doing great. Really excited about this week's show. Had a good week so far, sir? Excellent. Yeah, loads been going on. Um, lots of good stuff to get into the show. So yeah, let's crack on. So on this week's show, we'll talk about the challenge of delivering a growth plan and how to maximize your chance of success. Increase market share, deliver sales growth, create brand awareness and enhance customer relationships. Sound familiar? Probably because 90% of marketing job descriptions have most, if not all of these in one line. And it's what we're judged on as marketers, right? It's even if it's the full responsibility may not sit with you, we can't guarantee success, but we can maximize it. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, whether you're a junior digital performance marketer who's been tasked with organizing a PPC campaign or if you're the marketing director who's looking at launching a new market, pretty much those growth targets will will sit with you. And like you say, at least 90% of your JD or at least some of that accountability will be there, I think. If the questions remain the same, I think, is there a market? How much potential? How can you break into it or increase market share? What's the strategy? What's the tactics? And and that's pretty much the same whether you're looking at it on a tactical basis, like a PPC campaign or looking at the broad overview service strategy. So, yeah, totally agree. Mm. Um, But at the same time, Sam, I think it is going to be horses for courses. But I'd love you to sort of think about some of the principles that we should always adopt when we're working through a sales growth plan. Yeah, I'll, I'll go into that. I'm just hoping my, for the US listeners, listeners, Horses for Courses translates. I, I sometimes forget what <laughs> does or doesn't flow across the pond. So I think it's picking the right solution for the right um, opportunity is what that translates out. I don't know if that's a corporate answer or a British answer. But anyway, yes, I, I'd like to, I, when the, the areas you called out make perfect sense. If you break them down, even further in a few ways. I'd say look at it from a point of view, um, from the different stakeholders that you need to win with when you're trying to actually have impact and drive growth. So from the consumer perspective, i.e. the person who uses, or the shopper perspective, the person who buys, and breakfast cereal is a classic category where kids have pester power, but parents have have the money to actually buy it, right? So make sure you understand the difference between the consumer and shopper. Who are they? What their needs, unmet needs? Who makes the decision? We've just talked about that. Pet food, apparently, Animals demand wet, wet food, even though they can't speak and don't have any, you know, any wallets or credit cards. So who actually makes the decision? And then what are the drivers of their choice? Where they buy now and why they buy now? Think about the retailer or the seller or competitor perspective. You know, what's their point of view? How does a retailer react to competitors or products? Or what are their expectations and demands from you as a, as you know, as a producer or a manufacturer or as a, um, you know, as a supplier in the, in the marketplace how important is what you do to them does it bring in margin does it bring in revenue does it bring in media does it bring in awareness 
And I think more globally into other areas, how's it been done in other markets or how, how have consumers or, or responded in other places? So I think Spotify and Deezer are a couple of brands where they rolled out globally because there's been huge demand from other countries and other geographies and people have heard about them and demanded them. And then I'd say to close out, look ahead, make sure you look one, three, five, seven years ahead and really understand some of those cultural drivers, make sure the cultural lens is is front of mind. And, and that's a huge eye opener, to be honest, and how that quickly can evolve and quickly can change as we adopt and embrace new behaviors. Think about food, for example. If I'm looking for some, something to eat or somewhere to go, the first thing I do is go online and see the menu and make a choice there. And if you're not online, you don't have your menu, I'm not even thinking or choosing you. So that's a big shift from the traditional way of making food choices. In fact, eating in is the new eating out, right? So delivery and all those delivery providers now means that you don't even have to start a restaurant as a physical fixed location. You could have a kitchen somewhere and be great at creating a brand or building a community, which avoids the need for the staff, the equipment, building the overhead. So now food trucks are the more flexible and agile way of building um, a food brand, a restaurant brand, than actually a physical establishment, which changes the game completely. No, you're not wrong. I think that, that again... Does that make me right? Does that make me right if I'm not wrong? I hate to go that far, but let, let, let's just move past that point. You know, we, we're still early on in the podcast. But, uh, but I think one of the things that did ring true was the fact that actually when you look at growth, you need to be sort of thinking laterally as well as literally in terms of where it's going to come from. Um, you know, that idea about food trucks and that would have been seen 10, 15, 20 years ago as as a relatively sort of small market or a sort of a low value or sort of a low status market. Now it's seen very much as a premium market. Again, in the UK, we were reading about that, about how it was such a big thing in the US um, and how food trucks were such a main part of the culture. And, and it's mm-hmm. over here everywhere now. So so absolutely, I think you've got you've to look at those horizons mm. and you've got to look at those sort of different parallels. But I do think that there are some watch outs when you're trying to look at your growth plan, when you're trying to look at your sales forecast. Mm-hmm. And although some of this is a, you know, a little bit like marketing 101, I think it's still worth calling them out. Seasonality and knowing your sales cycle and knowing how your sales cycle is going to vary from market to market, I think is incredibly important. Yeah, there's a lot of people get bought out uh, yeah. around that. And you know, let's just look at Black Friday, for example, the, the shifting time, almost Amazon are dictating the the, the retail sales cycle now and um, where the sales come. And, and actually, a, a move when they move Black Friday slightly, it has a significant effect. And then you have Cyber Monday building on that. And now Cyber Monday is a thing to plan for. And so all of a sudden, you've got four or five days of peaks and troughs versus one major event. So you've got to plan it as a whole initiative and not just as a, a one-off sidebar consideration. So that's a great call out there. Yeah. And, and you know, and you're, you're effectively, you're planning your sales cycle based on what do we think Amazon will do next, um, which is an interesting in itself. I think, and, and that almost leads on to the second watch out, which is basing sales purely on past performance. Uh, I don't think anyone's quite as naive to do that. They would look at external factors as well. But the reality is, is that a lot of the time, that's pretty much all we've got to go with. But in the, the speed that the markets are shifting at the moment, that's a pretty dangerous indicator in terms of looking at what's happened before. And, and that is about how you solve that one, trying to triangulate that forecast, trying to look for 
three data points uh, minimum that will give you confidence in that. So what do you think is happening with competitor market share over time? Are there any parallels for anyone that's done this a year or two in advance, maybe slightly more mature than you? Um, what are some of those external factors? And then, of course, incorporating your, your sales performance into that as well. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add to that, if you're doing that well means that you can actually preempt. So no, re, you're not reactive. You're Knowing that data means that you're actually going to preempt it, maybe go a week sooner or a few days sooner or do something to not respond to the market or the competitors, but actually get ahead of them and, and get them to copy or follow you versus you trying to catch up with them totally yeah totally agree it's about it's about playing your own game rather than sort of trying mm. to sort of react all the time uh, the next one i think you're you're agree with this one only preparing for the ideal scenario uh, I, I don't know how many meetings i've been in and, and i would have been guilty of it at a certain point as well where you're presenting one sales plan you're talking about growth in optimistic terms you might mention the word contingency and and what will happen but quite mm -hmm. often you're assuming that there's no competitive movement whatsoever um interestingly if i think about some of the categories i've worked in where there has been a, an, a lot of competition such as newspapers for example uh, it was very much front of mind but but still mm. in a majority of places i think you can be in danger of doing a sales forecast in isolation rather than looking at what competitors are doing as well. Uh, and the final one, of course, wherever possible, test before you roll out. Is there an opportunity to actually sort of learn from what you've done in a sort of a, a, a test scenario, either in a specific market or a specific region, and then looking at how you apply that out as well? So it's quite a bit there. Yeah, so... so yeah, those all make sense. And as you're talking about it, for the listeners out there, there's a, a theme throughout this complacency. So don't have a set it and forget it mindset because that's when you get caught out. And so a lot of the, the last two you said, test and learn, having a contingency plan is really forcing you to think through and be present and be on it and not just to put it off for a tough couple of weeks or forget about it and then get and get blindsided. So the it's the antithesis of set it and forget it and run run what you did last year. So all of those seem 101 obvious, but definitely front of mind when we think about how to do this well. And then uh, you know, building on that, when we look at growth, I've, I think, again, you can't sort of set it and forget it. You have to be looking at other markets, other channels, identifying the next wave, applying thinking from one sector to another. I was looking at sort of fastest growth companies there are at the moment and looking at what we could learn and what they had in common. And, and to be honest, we always sort of know the answer to this. They've identified a gap in the market. They've found a customer need that's not being met. They've got a scalable tech solution which can be applied when the growth happens. Um, you know, they've they've mm -hmm. actually found something that can be easily understood. But it is it's when you look beneath the surface, I think it becomes interesting. Fortune posted a list of uh, uh, the top growth countries and, and there's the usual suspects in there you would imagine. Netflix is in the top five. But number one was a dating app in China, which really sort of piqued my curiosity. And and let us not forget that the, the population in China is, is 1.4 billion people, uh, which is staggering in itself and uh, being caught quickly by India. But this, this dating mm. app is called Momo, and it has over 100 million 
uh, MAUs, monthly average users. It's a social networking platform and and its live streaming revenues alone have risen from 133 million in 2013 to 1.95 billion now in 2018, I think that figure was from. But that's not why they're predicting stellar growth. That's not why it's number one. The reason why is because it's a mobile app and we predicted that amongst other things, there's going to be 30 million wifeless men by 2023 in China. That's according to the China Daily. And now that's borne out of the macro trends mm. uh, that during China's one child per household policy, there was 122 men uh, born for every 100 women. And then as time goes past, that, that's what you end up with, a, a massive market there. So you've got a, a strong market, and that is where all of the growth has been predicted. And there's a really nice piece of analysis by Seeking Alpha, which is one of those analysis companies. If anyone's interested, we put a link on the blog. But what, what's that got to do with us? Well, on a smaller scale, I think the principles are the same. Even if you're running something like a PPC campaign, your job is to target the audience segments that want your product. And your job is to think about the macro trends that are affecting your potential audience, not just your existing audience. Spot those shifts of teens from Facebook to Instagram mm -hmm. to TikTok before anyone else does. You know, analyze the macro data, yep. get in there first mm -hmm. and sense. think laterally, where are those niches? Who are those micro segments or where the next big uh, mass scale play is? Yeah. Yep. So, um, so, yeah. Staggering growth, Asa. Yeah, it's 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 exponential growth and opportunity. And what we've got to be mindful of is how to take something like that example you've just shared there, and then play that back to things that are surrounding us all the time. And I think for the complacency angle is what's catching a lot of markets out there, so a lot of brands and a lot of companies where they're kind of happy with what they're doing right now and not seeing that growth opportunity. And I think the meal kit industries is another good example the home chef blue apron hello fresh every plate brands they give you that affordable at home meal solution now they're having some bumps in the road as is it a, a fad or is it a trend but this idea of having some um, the, the key needs that consumers had are evergreen and are playing playing forward so the core unmet need of wanting to sort of surprise and delight themselves at dinner time is something that's a perennial issue that these mm -hmm. companies are addressing and having the right time and resources to actually meet that need. So it's wanting to have experiences, but, and also personalization is what people are looking for. And what these companies, what these uh, milk kit companies have done really well is they're disrupting all all the elements of the status quo and continuously blending this physical and the digital experiential elements and injecting excitement throughout it all. And then food makes it so so easy easy to, to, to win with consumers because you're winning, you know, with all the senses and not just a, a rational thought. You've got taste, you've got smell and mm. all these other things that you can you can play up on food. And step, the starting point really is just making it so easy to buy. And that's like an obvious solve to, to win in the market. But easy online delivery or in-store pickup now is a, is the a growth driver in that sector and aggressive pricing which is keeping the cost of each meal under ten dollars what's that um maybe i don't know seven seven pounds six pounds if my uh, I wish. across the pond calculation yeah. is going right or wrong and uh, no, the exchange rate 
Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll carry on. I'll leave that alone. Uh, so easy to buy. Mm. How about making it easy to use and leveraging technology, but not technology for the sake of technology, but actually easy to use is also pre-measured ingredients. So you're just getting packets, opening them up and or just chopping things up and not having to throw things away. You've got the prep instructions there. You've got recipes printed on cards. So yes, these are often digital companies, but they're giving you the physical experience. You can store the recipe cards and make them again in the future. So that's kind of adds value. They're making it easy to purchase the utensils or other bits and bobs through the e-store and then the online how-to videos to actually make these different meals so that easy to use is the other one and then easy to share so there's news to talk so it's about it's like a convenience masterclass it, in a way it is absolutely and making you want to share it right and and give and the, and having a toolkit behind that so making it easy to send the box box back and return things or uh, the environmental angle of just not throwing everything away, guarantee new recipes every week. So this idea of making it a habit and a habitual thing that you actually look forward to. These unboxing videos on YouTube, which get you all excited and wanting to make that thing. How many chicken recipes are there now on Pinterest? So using that as a platform and the the app becomes cr critical as well in terms of making sure you have that mobile experience for, the, um, for, for each device. So you're showing up differently across different mm. device platforms. But obviously, in this industry, you've got to be differentiating where they're struggling is, are they are they different from each other? And, and can you really are you really brand loyal? Or are you just loyal to the, the the sector and actually not necessarily remember which brand which is which? And that's that's something as a watch out there. Yeah, a, a big one, I think. I mean, certainly uh, is a theme that we'll come back to is around sort of subscriptions, trying to build recurring revenues and, and making sure that you've got that baked in but that loyalty factor i think is is absolutely crucial i mean the thing that you need to look at is think about competitive threat make sure you understand that tech and understand the audience as one wrong move can result in an unprofitable cpa and then you're you've got a non-optimized sales strategy i think so mm. so certainly that competitive threat is is key and the growth i think goes hand in hand with scalability and cash flow as well you know the the, the biggest killer of small businesses is cash flow. Only one in five survive the first year, and then only one in five survive a year after that. And the biggest reason is cash flow. So it's not about seeing the growth sometimes. It's actually about being able to sustain it as well. And we'll cover a bit more of that next next week. Yeah, and, and actually the idea of, of this cash flow um, as a problem and has become an opportunity, It's, a, it's the, the, the subscription model is what is solving for that. And the idea of this rundle, you know, the recurring revenue, stream or this revenue bundle that brands are, um, are implementing to manage cash flow, drive revenue. And it's the dollar shave clubs or the stitch fixes. And it's, those aren't gimmicks. They're actually building on a business fundamental and rapidly growing because it's solving, they're also solving a key consumer issue, which is we actually want less choice mm. and we want to make fewer decisions. So an Amazon subscribe and save is a really practical example. We're seeing it more and more in media, apparel, travel and health. And now the 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 offering now could be a 40 pack or a four pack of um, shower gel or a four pack of toothpaste that's actually your key selling item that you should drive consumers with because if you have a, a product like so we say toothpaste and you get through a tube a month if you get someone to buy four at once now you've locked them out of the market for for a quarter of the year so it's a smart business strategy and also a recurring revenue because you're driving the average ticket so all of those things are essential to driving growth thinking differently about how you run your business today and what you need to do 
in in the future. And as we think about this, Chris, then how do you how do you track growth? What do you look look at or look for? Well, I think I think you've got to look for the telltale signs of momentum, and that that comes in a variety of different formats. I think that's about customer sentiment, positive satisfaction. How do you track that? You know, I think Trustpilot does a very very good job as themselves. They've got an excellent business model, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a great way of doing that. But also looking at listening as well. Clearly, that individual channel performance. And making sure that you're getting a quality audience as well as looking at the quantity. And Google Analytics is is sweet, is a great starting point, I think. You want to try and get as granular as you possibly can and look at every single driver that yeah. you possibly can. If you can afford it, I think Adobe is even better um, as you can get more granular. Um, but you really just want to be tracking all the touch points until you can tell what the key dr- levers to drive growth are. Yeah. Um, and it's not it's not certain from the outset, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. I'd add to that uh, for perhaps new and innovative organizations or initiatives. Think about industry recognition, industry awards, entrepreneurial awards, or the, an, an obvious one which has data to support it. Ratings and reviews is another area that is rife for leveraging to ensure that you're you're tracking those as um, artifacts or proof points of the impact you're having in the marketplace. Yes, and good points there. I think we'll come back to that. But but bring us down to earth, Sam. How, how do you achieve this in our own organizations? What is it that we look for in the employees to help us deliver on this? Yeah, there's individual and collective traits that you can have as a connected team who are really connect, um, connected and committed and going after it. They're revenue focused, tracking the revenues coming in and rate of it, really executional focus. So it's getting, whether it's getting it physically in store or online and merchandising, trying out stuff and not being a, a afraid to fail the test and learn idea that you mentioned before and this this com- competitiveness and relentlessness to want to win to be there to be first to get more you know you're 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 you have to also be clear on how to engage the consumer and and driving referrals i think one launch i was involved with was very much about engaging experiential experience and demonstrating the product to consumers and winning them with that sampling moment so much so that not only did they buy it from themselves, they actually would buy it for other people as well. So that cross-selling and upselling and and, and the credibility and credentialing is, is critical uh, to to success. Um, but when when I think of, that's some of the things that come to mind when I think about it. But Chris, talk to us about what a growth situation actually looks like. What does it feel like? Yeah, well, I mean, I must admit, sometimes I haven't been in those growth situations in, in some markets. It's like media, for example, but but where I have been pleasantly surprised about growth, it, I think an example early on in career with the adoption of the internet, when you're suddenly there and you're going, Christ, this is, this really is going to be absolutely transformational for everyone, and you're putting into your sales forecasts not just a hundred percent increase, but five hundred percent or four thousand percent increases, and you're you're so seeing that go up, it it can be quite mm. concerning as well as exhilarating. Um, and second, it's when you try and create a truly scalable product, I think. Something where once you have written a playbook, you can see it set up time and time again. Gaming was a great example of that. I think we were launching about sort of 22 countries uh, by the end of uh, with the rollout. And that is quite exhilarating as well when you're, you're looking at it. But at mm-hmm. the same time, that's all very good. But you have to prepare for that competitor action. I feel like a bit of a broken record there. And you have to be able to make sure that you've yep. created a scalable product mm-hmm, and we, mm-hmm. we come on to look at that, I think. Um, and Sam, I think you, you might want to 
try and bring us to a conclusion now. Any further points that you want to talk about? Well, actually, I'd come back to what you just said about the competitive action. I really think that's a big enough idea that we should build it into a future show and topic and look at some of the comments coming in from what we're, we're what we're sharing now and actually feed that in. So let's let's shut myself up and come back to to more in a future episode. How about that, Chris? Self self-monitoring here self-editing there that that was well done <laughs> well in that case why don't you take us through the the three key takeouts and reflections of the show sure the first one that comes to mind is really ensuring that you have both macro and micro trends in mind from the sizing and potential to what's going on with the consumer it's a bit of an obvious one but that macro and micro is critical the second thing is to think ahead especially regarding culture where it is today and where it's going because it moves so rapidly three five years from now and how do you take advantage of that and the third thing i would say is again perhaps a bit of a 101 but avoiding complacency so you've really got to have the right people the right mindset and an entrepreneurial the eq and iq but complacency is your enemy here set it and forget it is not the right approach. So those are the three trends, the three points I'd make. The macro and micro, the thinking ahead, ensuring that culture's baked in and avoiding complacency in in your thinking and work and the people you hire. Yeah. And if I was just to add one more in, I think it would be the importance of a good sales forecast as well. Um, So point we covered earlier on, but good. Um, Great show, Sam. Thank you for that input. I think that was really good. really stimulating debate. We carry on and no doubt we will again at some point. But next show, we're going to be talking about the challenges of growth. How do you sustain growth in the face of blockages? Um, What we've been able to do about it and what organizational drivers push you to be making growth an imperative and and how we actually look at techniques, skills and behaviors to have in your armory to help you build on that over time. So going to be a packed show next week. I'm looking forward to it. Um, So I think that's pretty much it, Sam. Absolutely. Next week's show is going to be a belter. Again, I'm not sure if that's going to translate across the pond. That means that's a good (laughs) thing, by the way. But until next time, Chris, until next time, Chris, have a good week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting martintransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type Marketing Transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformed at gmail.com.